0: radio land, podcast bill, and all the ships at sea. My name is Kate Wolf, and you are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. Joining me today is my co-host, Medea Ocher, managing editor of LARB. Hi, Kate. I'm Medea. And this week, we're going to be listening to an interview that we had with Abdel Taya, author of Another Morocco. I was really sad to miss that interview because I was ill, though so probably my voice was better when I was a sick person than it is right now Mm. but I had to sit that one out and so Eric Newman our new co-host and the sexuality and gender editor at uh, the L Review of Books came and joined you and talked to Abdella yeah it was a great interview and Abdella is a spirited amazing person to talk to so I was sad to miss it yeah I'll listen to it myself sorry you missed out but it's all right yeah usually how it goes yep okay let's take a listen Here today with Abdella Taya. Abdel is a Moroccan writer and filmmaker based in Paris. He's the author of six novels, including An Arab Melancholia, Infidels, and Salvation Army, which he also directed as a film in 2014. In 2010, his novel, Le Jour du Roi, was awarded the French Prix de Fleur. His new book, Another Morocco, will be published by Semiotext next month. Thank you, Abdellah, for being here today.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So I thought we could start off with you just telling us a little bit about the stories in another Morocco. They're about your childhood and young adulthood in Morocco, but tell us a little bit more about them and when you wrote them.
1: This book in English is actually two books in one book. Uh It's my first book published in 2000 called My Morocco, Mon Maroc, and the second one called Le Rouge de Tarbouche that was published in French in 2005. And with my editor in semiotext, Hedi Al-Kholti, mm. he had that desire that one day we should translate, bring these stories from Morocco, from French into English. So we made uh, choices and we have now the book all the stories from my childhood, from my Morocco, from my imaginaire, from my first world, if I might say. And it's all about, I'm not going to say about my life, but about how I've experienced the world in the city of Saleh in Morocco, near the capital of Morocco, Rabat. The family, the mother, the father, the sisters. I mean, it's my world, if I might say, and how to construct something with this world, how to be as well gay in this world. And I would say it's fragments. It's fragment from my first part in this earth, and on this earth.
0: How old were you when you wrote
1: these two books? It was published in 2000, so I was, I think, 27. Okay. And actually, I wrote this text because I immigrated into Europe i felt immediately when i arrived in geneva first and then paris that although i learned french and i spent so much uh, focusing on the french and european and west culture that this intellectual part of myself is not going to be really to help me to save the person that i am so i felt like What I lived the first 20 years, 25 years that I lived in Morocco, somehow they are going to vanish. So I felt like the need, while meeting Europe, meeting Paris, meeting La France, that I should write these things now before I change into something else that I suspected that I would become. But Mm -hmm. at that time, I had only the desire to fix these things into books, Mm -hmm. into literary fragments.
2: I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, maybe bouncing off of that, about your relationship to France, right? Which the autobiographical narrator in many of these stories has a very embattled relationship with France, right? And is torn really between two worlds, right? France seems to represent a kind of freedom to be gay, freedom for one kind of self-expression, but also incredible alienation.
1: Well, I think at that time I was not totally aware of that alienation. Today I am totally aware of Mm. it and I am not afraid to talk about it and to criticize French and La France about this colonialism. To make it clear for you, I was born in poor Morocco Mm -hmm. and people around me were only speaking in Arabic and I didn't feel the need to go into French language because that language was the language of the elite, of the rich people in Morocco, mm-hmm. of the okay. king of the ministers, of all these arrogant people who were mm-hmm. dominating okay. us. I mean, dominating the poor people like right. me, including the gay ones like me. Mm-hmm. Right. So there were no, I didn't fantasize France or French language as something that will save me. That was never my part of me. I think what happened is one day I discovered uh, some good French movies. And especially the ones with Isabelle Adjani, the French movie star, that is something very... she is very important to me. And I remember that when I saw her face, the intensity and the craziness Mm -hmm. and the haunting, the way she is, I feel like there is a connection between her as an actress, as the way she acted, she acts on movies, And my world, I mean, the craziness I was living in, the screams of my mother, the screams of my sisters, the way we deal with uh, life, with evil, with, I mean, our strategies to heal somehow Mm -hmm. ourselves. So I said, okay, I want to be a filmmaker, so I should go to Paris to join Isabella Jenny.
0: (laughs) So that's how you imagined that you'd be a filmmaker? That
1: was the first, not even a dream, that was my first decision. As an adult, when I was 12, (laughs) I decided that images, movies, are the place where I could find salvation, my own salvation, Mm -hmm. and I should uh, go put myself deep and deep in those images by bringing my own images, which are the life, my family, my mother, the screams of my mother, the smoking of my father. I mean, all this archaeology of my Moroccan life that I wanted to put into movies but I was of course very naive and very silly but still it's these silly dreams this silly decision that brought me into the other decision to learn French although I didn't like it and one day to go to Paris to join Isabella Jenny
0: (laughs) 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 but yeah you, you studied literature
1: yeah, that you was… Uh, literature. Yeah. So I thought I was smart. Okay, let's be smart. What is… <laughs> I am poor. I don't have money. French language is for the chic people. Okay. I don't look chic. For the Moroccans, when they see me, they want to spit on me. And the other ones, they want to rape me. Okay, how to <laughs> oh avoid all these people? How to be more smart, more clever than all these people? So I started by stealing my brother's clothes and his books and his discs and his music. And then I decided to study French literature in the Moroccan University, in the University of Rabat, Mohammed V. And what happened when I arrived there, I realized that my French was really poor, Mm -hmm. that my French was, I had no level, I was nothing in that language, but I still had that dream to be a filmmaker. So I decided that I'm going to go in another battle with French language, and I decided to keep a journal, actually not a journal, just a notebook where I started to write everything in mm-hmm. French, 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 mm-hmm. to see what's this thing called French, what's <laughs> this phrases written by Victor Hugo and Marcel Proust, why they look chic to so many people. And when I read them, I feel so inferior into these lines written in French. Where is this coming from? So I decided to, You know, it's a culture, it can't be only, you cannot get it because only you are fascinated or you are in love. A language is something where all the political things and all the problematic things are happening, including hate and including inferiorization of the other. Mm -hmm. So French language was used by some Moroccan people to inferiorize the right. other people, including me. So the problem with me that I went to French language, although I felt and somehow I still feel inferior in that language. Mm.
0: What's interesting in the book is there's a kind of a, the stories, you know, they start as these beautiful recollections of your home life and you have a very large family and these scenes of all being together. And then mm. at the end of especially in the first few stories, You'll turn around and say, but I didn't know, I was wrong. You kind of disavow your experience in a quick turn.
1: I would not say that I was wrong. I'm just aware today, I'm 43, right. I am more aware of the politics of what's going on in the world, yeah, Right. Sure. the West, and the place of where course. I'm coming from. Morocco was colonized by French people, and French people today, they think they do only good thing in Morocco. And this is, of course, but but the book also
0: has that kind of double awareness because you're becoming more aware of what your childhood Mm -hmm. meant. You're writing the book when you're in your 20s.
1: But again, I I wrote this text because I went to Paris, because the reality of France, the sociology of France, the way French people treated immigrants like me, I felt like they are going to take something from my soul, from my memories. So these lives I had with me that I lived in Morocco, and although they were also very problematic, a lot of suffering, a lot of things that were not okay at all, including being gay, being treated Mm -hmm. badly as a gay person in Morocco, I felt that there was that, but there was as well other things, other stories, other images that I should put into words immediately when I arrived. So I feel like these stories now in this book, Another Morocco, I wrote them in order to save myself another time. Mm -hmm. I thought that by going to Europe, to Paris, that would be the salvation. But it is not. I don't think the West saves. The West gives rights, laws to protect the individuals, to protect people who want to do this and this. But the West also pushes you another corner, which is what we call individuality. Individuality is a good thing, but it could be as well individualism, yeah. which is not, I think, a good thing. If individuality is isolation, the way I felt it when I arrived in France, like, for instance, just to renew the French residence card, just to go to the bakery and to face the French people, the way they look at you and they tell you, oh, you are Arab. Mm. But yeah. And not to feel inferior the way they look at you that way. That was another struggle that I was not expecting to go through. But I had to face it. And I feel like the texts in another Morocco are, I really wrote them in order not to dissolve mm.
2: totally into this French chic culture. Right. That's
0: really interesting.
2: I am haunted still by, there's that story. I can't remember the name of the story, but it's the one between Mohammed and René, in which there's a, René is a French guy on vacation and he has a romance with Muhammad. Ah, and the Tangier, they, the terminus yeah, Yes, exactly, angels, oh, angels, terminus. angels yeah. terminus, angels terminal. And I found that to be both incredibly heartbreaking, but also deeply true. Like there's something about that, that both of them want something from the other, mm. which is, on the one hand, a, a little exploitative, right? But also impossible.
1: I well, I think literature and writing are a lot to do with impossibilities. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think we write because we are in a situation of impossibilities in the real life. And we hope that some solution kind of will appear by writing. But of course, there is no solutions, even when we write. right. But we keep doing that illusion working wherever we like it or not, whether we like it or not. So in that story, there is I thought that let's bring these two isolations, these two isolated people, one from La France, the other one is Moroccan. The Moroccan dreams about going in Europe, thinking that will be his salvation. And the French is somehow tired of being in the West Mm -hmm. and think that to meet with a young Moroccan sexy boy that will save him. So there is something tragic in that story. But at the same time, There is something miraculous which is the meeting between two lonely people and they do something, I don't know, crazy that we could call love. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Um,
0: I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you have been received in Morocco and how your work has been received there because I know these books Mm. were kind of controversial and brought you to attention and maybe you could tell us also about this article that was published in Telkel and…
1: Morocco, Yeah. yeah. Well, I think uh, the problem started when I came out as a gay man. Uh, Which like was in, in? 2006, January 2006. Okay. In France? No, in Morocco. Okay. I was, at that time, I was doing the promotion of the second book, and that book was promoted first on TV. So the Moroccan people looked at me, and I think they found me very nice, very sweet and cute. And <laughs> I think they kind of, even the poor one, they saw themselves in me, and then four months later, I turned up into that faggot who (laughs) who is saying I am gay, and maybe they stopped liking me.
0: But had they read the, I mean, the books reference homosexual desire, and there are a lot about sexual awakening. So, I mean, you know, obviously there's not, if they were published, they must not have been...
1: In Morocco? Yes. Well, I was at that time published in France. So for the Moroccans to be published in France, Mm -hmm. that's, I mean...
0: So they hadn't read the books necessarily. They just saw you as a... No, I think
1: some of them have read the book at that time. And they just thought, okay, this is literature. This is writing. Let's Mm -hmm. make believe. Let's make believe something. And then, I think five months later, I was still in Casablanca and I came out on television no that was on in the magazine uh, in this article and kind of a scandal came but at the same time I think that was a moment of truth for me Mm -hmm. as a human being which is I always hated these Moroccan intellectuals who spoke about writing and books in a too much intellectual way and I could not connect with The way words were coming out of from their mouths, Mm. it was now connection with the reality of poor people. And I felt when the journalist asked me the question about my homosexuality, this is my chance to connect with myself, my young self, my little self, Mm. with the reality of the rest of the Moroccan people, not only the gay ones in Morocco, but the whole reality of Morocco that literature is also about life about the political dynamics political struggles that are happening in real life so i did that a lot of people hated me a of people insulted me and attacked me but at the same time i felt this is my chance to say something that will maybe save the little boy that i am still <laughs>
0: yeah you're listening to the larb radio hour Coming to you from Emerson College in the heart of Hollywood. And now for this week's book recommendation. So we have George Proshnik back in the studio, and he recently published a book uh, in part about uh, Gershom Scholem, and he was going to recommend one of his books.
3: I strongly recommend uh, a book that he wrote called Sabotage Fee the mystical messiah. And this is a story which is not very widely known today, but it's about this figure who arose in the Ottoman Empire in the 17th century in what was then Smyrna, modern Izmir. And he was this guy who came from a wealthy Jewish family, was unstable from his youth, but had a beautiful voice. Everyone comments on his voice and he had some kind of charisma. And as he grew older, he began both attracting followers and committing increasing numbers of bizarre actions, some of them in direct violation of Jewish law. Eventually, he was exiled from Smyrna, and he wandered around for years trying to figure out who he was, until he met a young, incredibly brilliant rabbinical uh, rabbi at that point, formerly a rabbinical student in Jerusalem, and now this guy whose name was Nathan of Gaza and lived in Gaza met Sabbatai Svi, who'd come to him to find out why he was suffering so much mentally. And Nathan of Gaza confirmed a thought that it occurred to Sabbatai Svi at certain points, said to him, in fact, you're the Messiah. And that's the reason you're so tortured, because the Messiah can only come. There was a whole Kabbalistic notion of the birth pangs of the Messiah, that the Messiah can only come with tremendous historical and also individual upheaval in, in the person of the figure who will be the Redeemer. Sabbatai Svi... After getting this word, he says, well, you know, I think, I think you're right. And the <laughs> two of them go off, not immediately, they wander around a bit in the Ottoman Empire, and then gradually, Sabathai Sfi becomes convinced that he is uh, this figure who's going to save not just Jewry, but the world. And the surprising thing is that someone who has retroactively been diagnosed as clearly bipolar actually has incredibly successful uh, messianic movement that sweeps up not just the Ottoman Empire but huge swaths of Europe and not just poor, desperate people but also wealthy communities start to tear up their roots and they're all heading to the Holy Land to become part of uh, Sabbatai Sfi's religious revival messianic moment. And in an incredibly compressed period of time, the movement becomes so powerful that it actually disrupts trade all across the Ottoman Empire. The sultan, who's been sort of trying to keep his distance from everything, is forced to intervene. He arrests Sabatai, puts him in this tower in Gallipoli. There, Sabatai's followers all flock to the tower. He becomes an even more powerful figure in prison. At this point, again, on the advice of some of the sultan's members of his court, Sabatai's fee is dragged up to the sultan's northern palace in a a town that was then called Adrianople. And he's told it's so wonderful that you're the messiah and what fantastic powers you must have. And we're so impressed and we're so happy to look forward to a, a demonstration of these powers that I've gathered all of the empire's greatest archers. And they're going to surround you in a circle and all fire their arrows at you. And we just can't wait to see the moment when those arrows bounce off your Flesh, <sighs> and you emerge as radiant as God himself. And Sabbath see at this moment says, um, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not so sure. And and the Sultan says, ah, well, if you're not the Messiah, you have to convert to Islam. And Savitai immediately, in the phrase of the time, takes the turban. So now you have the Messiah has the Jewish Messiah has converted to Islam and the extraordinary thing is that for a number of years after that, he's then given a position in the sultan's court. He's palace gatekeeper or something. It's it's a title and a stipend more than anything. He becomes Mehmed in Effendi. His wife, who was an extraordinary figure in her own right, originally a victim of the pogroms in the Ukraine, becomes Fatima Kadin. And the two of them start creating this I think, I believe, a, a syncretic religion where they're they're going to these Sufi mystical lodges and hanging out with these um, Muslim mystical figures as well as on the sly still preaching to different Jewish communities. And there's this strange moment when Sabbatai starts having a, a kind of subterranean, opening up a subterranean other set of possibilities of what I think not just judaism and and Islam might be, but there's a, there's there' are Christian elements in his messianism as well. Wow. finally, he's exiled to a very remote place in a modern day Macedonia, and it doesn't go so well at that at that point. but it's Sholem has written a truly magisterial work of scholarship uh, looking at this story, which is spellbinding and, wow. and and deserves to be better known.
0: yes, wow, that sounds like an amazing book, so remind us of the title again,
3: Saabotage Fe. The Mystical Messiah by Gershom Sholem. And in fact, it's just been reissued by Princeton University Press.
0: Oh, well, there you go. Wonderful. Thank you, George. And George's new book is Stranger in a Strange Land, Searching for Gershom Sholem in Jerusalem.
3: Thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: Thank you. You're listening to LARB Radio Hour. And now back to our interview with Abdel Ataya, author of Another Morocco. So after that, you're the first openly gay Moroccan author. That's I mean, a big that title. <laughs> 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 so, uh, well, I confirm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I confirm.
1: I have still have owned that title. Okay, Draynor. But to be true, there are other books in Arab literature with homosexuality mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. Like uh, There is Hanan Sheikh, she's a Lebanese writer who talked uh, about it in a novel called Miskal There is this Syrian writer... Some are Yazbek, but there are not that many artists, Arab artists, who came out as I gay see. persons. Well, because
0: I was going to ask, there's a story where you're with your cousin and you go to see the grave of Jean Genet. Oui. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, uh, there were Paul Bulls, all your fellow students, you turn them on to Paul Bulls, And these are people who allude to homosexuality, Jean Genet perhaps more than allude, but that they're popular would almost seem like, well, there's an acceptance of that as a fact of life, but as long as no one owns up to it. So Mm. I was going to ask, yeah, like how much is homosexuality referenced openly in In Morocco? Yeah.
1: Well, there is the law that condemned homosexuality. But we have to remind you that's a French law that Ah, was brought by the French people and put there. But still the Moroccans took that and posed it on the other gay people in Morocco. But you know what? When I was little, I had no idea about Jean Joni and Paul Bowles. Right. I learned about them when I was, I think, 21, 22. And that was too late for them to come and save me. So during many, many years, I had to find way to resist with the arms of my own reality in Morocco. And believe me, the r- in the reality of Morocco, there are a lot of transgressions, lots of incredible things happening. The, things I- the problem is we cannot speak about it openly. Mm, yeah. Because of one reason, the people, the political people, the people running the country don't want these people to be free. So the poor ones like my family cannot, I'm not going to say tolerate, can cannot afford to have a gay son out in that society because the political people don't give these people places, political places where they could be totally uh, themselves Mm -hmm. and to to accept each other. So at. when I was little, I hated a lot of my family, my parents and my big brother. But today I see why they didn't protect someone like me. Why even them, they insulted me. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say that to justify homophobia. I'm just trying to see where the problem is really coming from. Right. Because we tend to say Arabs are homophobic, are, are this and that. But I always feel when we say that, especially when we hear it in the West, that um, we are somehow saying the same things that this, uh, these dictators mm-hmm. wanted us to be. I think an author like me, especially published and translated into English in America, that's a big thing for me, has the duty to say something right about what yeah. is going on and not only to say what the powers want me to say.
0: Right, right. Yeah. It's
1: very complicated. I'm sorry, but yeah, uh, no, I mean that's what ab- what it is about in literature to say complicated course. things. And
0: there's such a beautiful irony. There's when you return to see your mother, and mm. she tells you, "Stay away from women. They're the cause of all your problems." <laughs> and you say, "Okay, mom, of course," because and which I think is you know it's so be- and that again shows the kind of complexity of. Of the situation as well, I think in a in a in a really humorous way.
1: Yeah, but for her, she had a lot of problems with uh, her f- girlfriend. Right. And no, them, I know. So she didn't yeah, want yeah. me to say, to face the same problems. Right, so of she course. would please stay away from women." Right. Okay, mother. No problem. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, can we uh, return just a little bit to talk about, because um, Jean Genet and Paul Bowles, as you had mentioned, they figure really largely um, in the kind of literary citations in the stories. Um, can you talk about, like, what I think even one of the characters says that something which surprised me, which is that, like, Paul Bowles was like, I'm going to get the quote wrong, Moroccan like, a Moroccan, the best Moroccan writer. Exactly. Actually,
1: I don't like to talk about other American writers or this European writers who went to Morocco, But except one, Paul Bowles. I really had a big, and I still have a big affection for him because I always felt that he was deep, 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 deep in the Moroccan popular culture Mm. with the sorcery, the gins, the music. He was into it sincerely, not with uh, too much intellectual way into discovering it. So when I read his books, somehow I find them so much irrigated, Mm. uh, influenced by... Uh, some Moroccan dynamics that I had to okay. face in my own own reality. And plus, he was so cute <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and so distinctive. Like, uh, if I have had the chance to meet him, I would undress for him, not <laughs> without <laughs> a problem. As for Jean Genet, he did very these very important things. He used to steal money in Europe and come to Morocco right. and give yeah. it to the poor people. That's he's why he's… He's an incredible figure a saint for so many moroccans so i love this idea that these two men brought something from them by writing something in their books that is so very very much moroccan that someone like me when they when i read them i give them that my blessing you are Mm -hmm. moroccan
0: Mm nice (laughs) i loved how much cinema played a role in the book and, you know, this going to see these bread and tea, um, mm. double features and mm. just really, and I, I didn't realize that, you know, you could go and just really go to the movies all day was what it sounded like. And it sounded, as you were saying before, Isabella Johnny was your awaken awakened your connection to, to France. And, um, so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about how cinema was a influence on you and, and maybe about the experience of then going on to direct a film and what the connection I always was. felt
1: that cinema is for the poor people. Uh, literature is somehow there is this bourgeois thing going on with not, in, not anyone can afford to buy a book, to read it and to speak about it in a very intelligent way. I'm, in my place, in the neighborhood where I was living, I always felt like this is not for me. But cinema cinema can speak to anyone on this earth. And the first cinema I I met was uh, the Egyptian movies on Moroccan TV. Each Friday we had an uh, an Egyptian film. That was a huge influence for me because it was about melodramas, love, belly dancing, lots of crying, (laughs) lots of... uh, (laughs) I mean, it, I, although it was Egypt, I, all, I felt that my reality was somehow represented in those images. And they were speaking in Arabic. And that was very important mm-hmm. to me. Like, I felt some connection. And then when I started, when I knew how to steal money in order to go <laughs> to movie theaters, the, film, the films, again, for the poor people were the, this double program which it, it starts with karate film, Chinese karate film, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee and Ninja, all those stuff. This is the beginning of this 80s. Huh? Right. And it starts with that, which is um, something strong. And then the second part was this endless Bollywood movies that we loved so, 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 so very much. And this was in the 80s before Bollywood became here in mm-hmm. the West. So, so, so much. Hip. So I feel Somehow that I am nourished by this popular culture.
0: Right, right. Um,
1: somehow I think y- even in the way I write and the way I edit my texts, the way there is always this idea of fragments. It's always about fragmentation, if I might say, in my books, even mm-hmm. in the novels I wrote. You will never find a story like linear story. It's always cut, mm-hmm. uh, ellipses, things that are that start and then I cut them abruptly. And actually, I love that. It's coming from this the the, the, the the way cinema is written, the editing, you cut and then you go to something else. And yet the the, the 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 spectators can follow you by imagining what was cut between the two images. Totally, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Somehow I, I understood when I was little that this is what it is about. When you watch a film, that you watch the image, but at the same time you have to imagine what is is behind the image, and what is going on between the images. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's in my way of writing.
0: Yeah, I can see that. And then what was it like when you actually were directing a film? Um, oh, God. Or That's <laughs> that the hardest <laughs> thing on
1: earth to do. It, I
0: could imagine.
1: Now yeah. I understand why all these people in Hollywood were having screamings and, and <laughs> having crisis and neurosis and... Because it's really hard. It's not only about having money. That's a hard thing to get. Part, first, yeah. money. But when you, when you are doing a film, uh, shooting a film, making the scene, uh, you really, you understand that if you only go there by, y- because you are influenced by some big filmmaker or by some famous actress, by faking it, it will not work. You mm-hmm. have really, really to go deep 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 inside of your uh, heart deep inside of your stomach <laughs> of your skin of your blood and to put all that your blood to put it there otherwise it will not work mm. and believe me i think when you sh- are shooting a film maybe that's the most honest sincere moment of my entire life because what i am was there a little bit good and very very bad person <laughs> it was there in order to make something true happening Right. In order to make something true happening, takes a lot of um, mani- manipulation yeah. strategies <laughs> to work on. In order to make them, I'm not. I hope people who are hearing this, they are not having a bad image of cinema. It's just <laughs> that to make things look like life and true in cinema, it takes a lot, a yeah. lot, a yeah. lot.
0: Well, it's so different than just being able to to write something on the page. You know, you mm. have to.
1: It, yep. When you write, you are crazy and alone. Right. When you make a film, you are 60 people crazy on the set. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Not alone at all. But.
1: Not alone yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it.
0: So are you going to make more films, you think? Or? Yeah, 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 oh,
1: cool. yeah. I hope so. I hope I will find the right persons to seduce in order to give me
2: money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you have films that you are currently
1: thinking about? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, of okay. course. Yeah, yeah.
1: You mean, I have only myself in the world to take uh, to take care of. So I have plenty of time to imagine things and to work on them and to prepare them in my little brain.
2: <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about kind of your style. Right? My style. Um, the, the writing style. So I, I loved what you were saying about it being very fragments, right? And that works mm. perfectly, obviously, for the short story form. Um, I also think one of the things that as I was reading I thought was such an, an incredible achievement is like this, distinct uh, tactile sensuousness that you have in your way of representing the world. So it is fragments, right? We see glimpses. But there's something about like and this is maybe gonna sound a little gay, but. No, it's no like problem, they're, they're I am of gay, like, as yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> Same, but the, um, it's like you give us the sense of like a garment, like the way that it like gossamer like flows like through the air, right? You you capture those moments, also human moments, the screaming, the crying, but you really bring us into the sensorium, that's what I'm trying to get at, the sensorium of the world it's that you inhabit. very important for me. So the can skin. you tell us how you do that?
1: It's all about skins. Yeah, the that's skin. That's true, there's lots of touching so, yeah, in the Yeah, The, the skin is how the skins are, attracted to each other mm-hmm. and influenced by each other. And how the vibes of uh, from the other bodies, they enter you and they influenced you and make you have uh, sexual desires, uh, mm-hmm. dark desires. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's all about the bodies. It's not about being intellectual or intelligent, because that's have a lot of limits. The intelligence right. has a lot of limits. The body knows it's better than us and has other uh, strategies It has its truth, right? Absolutely. The body has a truth. So yeah. I think this coming because I'm um, coming from Morocco where uh, we could not speak all about a lot of things, but not to speak about uh, things because it was forbidden, et cetera, et cetera, didn't mean that we didn't live that, that our body didn't experience things, complicated things. Mm. So in my books and when I write, I feel like I this is what I have to put these bodies, this sensuality, this Earth, this me, little boy, walking barefoot in the street, screaming, hungry, uh, knocking on the doors, give me food, give me mint, give me money when I didn't have, like, I, I could turn into beggar. Like, if I didn't have money, okay, I'd sit and give me money. No problem. You know, all these uh, experiences that could seem here a little bit adventurous for you, but for mm-hmm. me, um, I grown up not to be ashamed of the, all these things because I felt and I still feel that this is what is about in life. Bodies is connecting, bodies connecting mm-hmm. in a very sensual way. Right. Uh, it's important too, of course, sensuality because it's skin. It's all about the skin, mm-hmm. skins. It's in me. What can I say? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe the last question I'll ask you is at the end of the book, you have this afterward where you've kind of, it's almost a reckoning, with having writing in French and being in France. Hmm. And so I wondered if you ever consider um, writing in Arabic again or how, if you've had further thoughts since you wrote that about how you might further come to terms. This sounds like, you know, kind of an anger
1: that you've been feeling. But I think I'm right to be th- that way because yeah. what is going on now in, in the West, in in France, in the racism we are hearing every day and all these pasts, that the West didn't resolve, didn't face yet, including the way France treats immigrants, Arab, Muslim yeah. immigrants. Yeah. And I am gay and free, etc., cetera, et cetera, in Paris. But I have connections as a Muslim with other exactly. Muslims in the way they were ghettoized, putting in ghettos in suburbs, and no one cared about them. And now France is asking them, oh, you didn't become France, French right. people. So. I cannot be a writer and a gay and free and not to talk about these people too. So there is an anger because I spent so much years just learning about French and learning French language. And I mean, that takes, it took a long a bit, l- yeah. uh, years of energy and spending my energy on in that. And today I feel like I'm not totally recognized in that language mm. and I feel that I have the right to express that anger and to say what is wrong because first that's what is what is the definition of a writer and second because the racism and the hatred are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and it's not I think only about today the hate for Muslims it seems the hatred uh, is about something else as well right and that's makes me, I think, as angry as you, I guess, here in America. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Abdel Atayah, thank you so much for coming here today and talking with us.
1: Thank you very much, and I hope your people will understand my way of speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> I think they will. A, yeah. I hope to. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank
0: you. We've been speaking with Abdel Atayah. His new book is Another Morocco, and it'll be out from Semiotex next month. been listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Our executive producers are Medea Ocher and Kate Wolf. Editorial advisor is Janice Rochelle Littlejohn. Our engineer is Ernesto Orleano. Our researcher is Chloe Chapp. Production volunteer is Jake Levins. Special thanks to Alan Minsky, who is no one's moral conscience for production assistance, and to Emerson College for the use of their beautiful studios. Tom Lutz is the editor-in-chief and publisher of the Los Angeles Review of Books.